0: Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. You've tuned into the after <laughs> episode of a before and after birth story. My guest today, Lexi Barry, has just had her second baby, this time via surrogate. Lexi, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Very excited to be back. A, l- right. a little more tired this time around. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I imagine an incredibly different experience. And I don't want to get all the details, but first, give us a gentle reminder. You already had a son.
1: I do. So, Louis is two years and four months. And we just had our daughter, who is three weeks today.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. And Louis' birth was a bit traumatic and cracked. The aftermath was a bit traumatic. Cracked. Give us a brief synopsis.
1: Sure. So leading up to Louie's birth, I was diagnosed with preeclampsia at 30 weeks, pretty much put on bed rest, had to stop work, delivered him at 34 and a half weeks, emergency C-section. He was three pounds, 15 ounces, brought straight to the NICU. He did great. He just was tiny and grew. I, on the other hand, had some more severe complications that resulted in uh, post-C-section blood transfusion, and uh, uterine embolization to sort of stop some bleeding. So we had some pretty scary times in the first weeks of our son's life. So we decided not to do that again.
0: I mean, that is an excellent summary, but it's also after a whole slew of roller coaster trying to get pregnant the first time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we had three miscarriages leading up to uh, the pregnancy with Louie. And Louie, we ended up going the route of IVF to ensure that we had a viable pregnancy, which were our challenges the first couple of times around. So we knew going into it that I could get pregnant. It was making sure that the embryo was viable. And then subsequently found out that medically my body was not the best place to house the next embryo.
0: And then it was your doctor who suggested a surrogate, is that right?
1: Correct. So it was six months after our son was born and I went into the office and, you know, very frankly said, what do we do to prevent this from happening next time? And my doctor sat me down and said, I don't think you understand the severity of what we went through. You shouldn't be doing this again. And it was a very frank conversation that resulted in a few conversations with some specialists just to sort of dig deeper into what that meant. You know, I'm a little hard-headed, so I wanted to push through and do it again myself anyway and was reminded by some people in my life that wasn't really my choice anymore. I was now a mom. And putting my life at risk was not an option that anybody was going to support when we had alternatives.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, if it could be complicated for you, why not? It's the process of finding a surrogate is not the easiest. And uh, when you finally got your great match and were all ready to do your cycle, she did get pregnant with her own child.
1: That is the kicker. Yep.
0: Um, She got
1: pregnant and we think it was twins.
0: Yes. So... (laughs) a lot of success for someone else. Correct. All right. So then you did get a surrogate and you were matched and it was good match. And then there was maybe a minor complication or just an observation with the velamentous cord insertion.
1: Yeah. My understanding of that condition was diagnosed at week 20 with the high def ultrasound showing that the umbilical cord was attaching Not in the exact place it was supposed to in the placenta, which we are told could have caused issues with the baby's growth, could have also caused potential complications during a delivery. So immediately my heart sank and I said, here we go again. This was what we were trying to prevent. And it was a little bit of a dagger. I think that we thought it was more severe. It turned out to be nothing Thank God it was nothing at all for us, except a little bit of extra monitoring.
0: I mean, with your heart sinking, I just wonder if there's extra complexity with it being a surrogate. So, you know,
1: the
0: baby's not in you.
1: Absolutely. I mean, every single step along the way you have to relinquish control. I'm not choosing what she's eating. I'm not choosing if she's walking. I'm not choosing if her life and children and work are giving her stress. And being a mom, having gone through that, I knew what it felt like to do it. And then I knew what it felt like to not do it. Mm-hmm. So I have friends who you know, are men who have used a surrogate, but because they had never gone through it, it's a completely different level of understanding of what it means to give up control.
0: Right. There's a physical control that you had right, in your first pregnancy that you did not in the second. And then towards the end, because she wasn't super close to you, towards the end geographically, she came in closer.
1: Yeah. So what happened with our surrogate, and I must say these women are superhuman, superhuman emotionally, physically. I have so much respect and love for her. We ended up relocating her and her two young children to Los Angeles at about week 30 because of the condition needing extra monitoring. So originally in our contract, she was going to move down at week 36. Because of what I went through, I was adamant that she see my doctors and deliver at Cedars because they saved my life. And that was non-negotiable. So when we heard about this condition and that she might have to go into delivery early, we relocated her here at week 30, got her child care and support for herself and for her children and had her nearby to see the doctors every week.
0: And your plan for birth, and I imagine all plans for birth are tentative. Yep. No matter how you do it. Your plan for birth was what?
1: So the plan was, once we knew the condition was not a factor any longer, once we knew the baby was growing on target and she could have a regular birth, we scheduled a C-section at 39 weeks. So the Tuesday of 39 weeks. And the plan was, and this was all done with Cedars, we were pre-registered. She had her room. We were supposed to have our room. And when we got there, when we would have arrived, we had somebody that was going to meet the surrogate and they would go to the hospital. We would be in contact and we were told when it got progressed enough along the way, we should come and be ready and be there. So the idea was we would be in the hospital probably the last three or four hours And my husband and I would both be in the delivery room. And the idea was as soon as the baby was born, we would immediately take her into our room. And our surrogate would be able to, you know, recover and have her care and attention. And we would have the baby in our room. And in our discussions with the surrogate leading up to it, I know everybody's different, We talked about having her meet the baby the following morning and let her see her, maybe hold her. We were going to kind of play that by ear before we went on our way. So that was our plan.
0: Okay. And was it any trickier because we're still sort of hopefully on the tail end of the COVID era?
1: No, luckily not. The way it was, my husband and I could both be in the room and she could have one support person. So they checked vaccination status. If we were vaccinated, we did not have to do a test. I believe if we were not vaccinated, we would have had to Mm -hmm. very different from the first time.
0: Yes. So just for the process, this is sort of new. Mm -hmm. There's not that many surrogates every year. The numbers are climbing, but not that established. So two questions regarding that one is in the discussions. You know, it kind of sounds like any negotiations, (laughs) were there obstacles that you had to overcome things that you guys wanted or that she wanted? It's all very sensitive that you kind of had to negotiate through. That's part A and then part B, did the hospital seem to have experience with surrogates and were they able to guide you at all?
1: Two great questions. To answer the first one, we had a first time surrogate. She was very young and very flexible and eager. So in figuring out how we wanted this to work, first of all, everything is written into a contract, nothing is up for debate. We've got lawyers involved, you've got funds in escrow, and this is about as buttoned up as it can be if you go through an agency, Mm -hmm. you choose that route. The only hiccup we had with her was when the condition was discovered and we knew that she might go early her children were still in school and she didn't have a strong support network personally that she had requested that we have her deliver up near fresno which was about two hours from where she lived so she could be close to her children and not disrupt their lives and very quickly we got that call and said that was not what we agreed to and she understood and, you know, did what we had agreed to and it was comfortable. It was fine. So we got very lucky with her. There are situations that I've heard of where towards the end, you know, things can get a little dicier. But I think because she hadn't done it before and she was young and it was new to both of us, we just kind of worked our way through it together. So,
0: mm-hmm. the hospital. Yeah.
1: The hospital was interesting. So between our OBGYN's office, the third party concierge that we worked with for the surrogate and the admissions office with Cedars, we tried to be as prepared as possible. If you know my husband at all, you know that he wanted everything done ahead of time. So when we got there, there were no questions. So in terms of the preparation date going into the day of, we had her pre-registered. We had email confirmations that we had our room and the surrogate's room. We had confirmation that we could be in the room, both of us. So everything lined up going into the day of that made us think it was going to go smoothly.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That seems like an appropriate place to take a quick break and then find out what actually happened. So we'll be right back. (laughs) Hey everyone. It's Dr. Berlin. And I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally Omega three. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked with 95% of women deficient Don't wait. Visit ThisIsNeeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting podcast. We're talking to Lexi Barry, who is now a mom of two little kitties. And all the plans and details are worked out from literally every step and every i is dotted every t is crossed and codified into a contract as is always the case with surrogacy so you know the plan is that you're gonna have an induction and from that point forward every little detail is planned out how did things go
1: things changed
0: Things, okay.
1: things changed, but I would expect that with a pregnancy. So instead of waiting till the date of induction, our surrogate went into labor about three days before that. So she started to have early contractions. I think it was like on a Saturday afternoon and she you know, made it through the night. We knew that it wasn't going to happen then. So everybody kind of took a breath and said, let's reevaluate in the morning. This is very slow moving.
0: Okay, hold on. a second. there's already so many questions. First question is, did you make a plan for the possibility that she could go into labor before the induction date?
1: We did. So the plan was that if she went into labor, the first call is to the woman who works with the agency that was really going to be her support person because she was down here without any family members or support for herself so this person is also the person that was going to be in the delivery room with her and has the relationship with child care for her children so the first call was to her and the next call was going to be to the doctor and then the third call was going to be to us that's how it played out
0: cool and so then eventually that support person went to the home, your surrogate's home.
1: She did. And then she called us and, and gave us updates on how far apart the contractions were. And she kept us up to date on what the timing might look like over the next few hours so we could be prepared because we had childcare as well.
0: Oh, right. Everybody needed <laughs> child care. Also, this is gonna be her third birth, right? Yes. So it's not her first time around the block. She has some experience with this already. And she must also have just some internal signs and sense of where she's at in the spectrum of labor starting in birth.
1: Absolutely. That was what was so fascinating because with Louie, I never went into labor. So she had Braxton Hicks maybe at 36 weeks and she knew she's like, Oh, I'll go check with the doctor, but it's Braxton Hicks. It's fine. And she's told us sort of how it played out with her last couple of children. And, You know, she was the expert at this point. It was sort of like I was out of my depth because I had never experienced what she was about to experience. And she had, and she knew her body.
0: Yeah. And even if she hadn't, she has the billions of sensors that nobody else has. So she's she's got the intel in real time. Okay. So, you know, with her experience and with the support person now with her, you get the sense that nothing's happening very quickly. Go take a nap, go get some sleep. Right. Were you able to?
1: We all slept a little bit that night. I think we were pretty convinced it was gonna happen the next morning. So we mobilized, we got my parents ready for the handoff of Louie. <laughs> we got the child care for her ready to come over to her place. And we knew once these contractions hit five minutes, everybody mobilized it.
0: And at what point did that happen?
1: It happened around seven or eight AM the next morning.
0: So they went separately. To the hospital?
1: They went separately first. Originally, in part of the plan, Jeff and I were going to give her much more time at the hospital. Because if she was going to be induced, it would have likely taken a lot longer to get her to those five-minute contractions. Sure. But knowing now that she was going to the hospital much further along, we wanted to get there quickly.
0: Was that okay with her?
1: Absolutely. So... We were probably an hour or two behind her. We wanted to make sure that she was in a room. So we were in touch with this support person who kept us up to speed. And when she was through triage and there was a guarantee of her being admitted, that's when we came to the hospital.
0: Are you guys talking at all during this time directly?
1: The surrogate? Yeah. Occasionally. Leading up until this point, we would text sort of how are you feeling? How are things going? But when it got to the hospital, I was not bothering her. I was bothering this other person.
0: Okay. I see. My guess is you weren't bothering anybody, but you, <laughs> I th- hope not. you were talking through an intermediary.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. So how was your greeting when you got to the hospital? Also, did you get information from her triage?
1: Through this third party? Cause she's in the room for the whole thing. So, we knew at that point that she was two centimeters, 100% effaced, baby's head was down. So, the contractions were five minutes apart and it became clear that she was in labor and she was going to be admitted. So, at that point, we did the handoff. My parents took Louie and we got in the car and we went to Cedars and I walked in holding my own bag and Ready to go have a baby.
0: <laughs> okay. First of all, the handoff of Louie sounds like a movie or a book or something <laughs> like that. I couldn't get over that. Okay. So, I mean, what is going through you emotionally and psychologically walking into labor and delivery to have a baby, not pregnant?
1: Yeah. The experience of walking in and getting registered and figuring all of that out, I think I was too tactical to feel anything yet. When I felt something was we saw her being walked from triage to her labor and delivery room with this giant smile on her face, so happy and excited. And I don't know how she's human. And we go to registration and we hear our room is not available. Hospital is completely booked. So we are going to have to wait in the waiting room. So at that point, we had time. So we're sitting in the waiting room with time and the only people I see are fathers. And that's when it kind of hit me.
0: Wow. Yeah. Like you're in the waiting room essentially at your own birth.
1: Yeah. So we were told that we should have had a room available to us so we can wait in the room, but it was a crazy day at the hospital. They had more births than they could have ever predicted. Which impacted us down the road,
0: you know, I don't know your story. We deliberately don't talk much before we record so I can find out at the same time as everybody else, but I'm already thinking you had said the plan was to have your own room so that when the baby's born, you could bring the baby into your room.
1: Exactly
0: but you can't bring the baby into the waiting room. So hashtag question mark right over there. How did things progress and how did you get information? And there is a time where we're all agreed that you are both going to go into labor and delivery with her.
1: Yes. So what happened was we're waiting in, we are in the waiting room and we're told that she was getting prepped for an epidural and it was going to be a little bit of time once she had the epidural and she was comfortable, we were going to go into labor and delivery, see her, check in with her, see how they're doing. So, at this point, you know, Jeff said, we don't know when we're going to eat again. Why don't we go downstairs, get some food, get some waters? And I'm, like, walking around the hospital like a visitor. Mm. And we had you our… probably
0: even had your visitor little heart. I was
1: just going to say, we had visitor signs. We had visitor passes. Um Well, there's more to that that I'll get to when we get a little bit further along. So, you know, we went back up to the waiting room. And once we heard from the support person that she had the epidural and she's comfortable, that's when we went back to the room to go and see her. And really just, you know, we're here. How are you doing? And at this point, it's probably around one or two o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Okay, so... Maybe just over 12 hours since labor started?
1: Yeah, she got to the hospital at 9 a.m. We got there at like 11. We saw her at around 1 or 2. So it's still a pretty short period of time.
0: I mean, if you remember, what is it like to walk into somebody else in labor? I mean, for you, and I imagine even more so for your husband, like somebody else in labor, but with your baby.
1: I still felt very disconnected. And there'll be more on this when the baby's born about that connection piece of it. But at this point, I was given a wristband that had my surrogate's name on it. My husband and I did not exist to the hospital. We were not patients until the baby was born. We were not parents of patients. So I felt very much like I'm a spectator watching this and it's not my show yet. And it really wasn't. It really wasn't mine until the end. So there was a lot of walking, a lot of pacing, a lot of feeling like, okay, I just have to be in the background.
0: I'm socially awkward. I won't come out and say that. So even just on a regular interaction with somebody that's socially normal and regular, it happens every day. I'm still anxious. I'm like that weirdo in the elevator that when somebody else comes <laughs> in, I panic. I'm like, am I supposed to talk to you?
1: Elevators are the worst.
0: I force myself to say, oh, have a good day. Um, (laughs) But I'm looking down at my phone, even though it's off. Right. Anyway, this is not a social interaction that I think anybody can really prepare for. I'm just talking about not even the baby at this moment, just you and the person who's in labor with your baby.
1: Yeah. So I will tell you, you know, we're sitting in the waiting room at one point and I get a text that they had to reposition her and... I shouldn't come back just yet. So I get nervous. I'm thinking, oh God, the baby's turned. They have to reposition the baby. I'm thinking all this. And then I get the text. Okay, you can come back. And I come back and they meant that the surrogate had to move from her left side to her right side. Mm -hmm. So I am so concerned about the surrogate. And then throughout this entire process, she's 23, just turned 24. I felt like her mom. So I felt like in a weird way, like I was taking care of her and I was concerned about her and her feelings and how she was managing through this. You know, are you in any pain? Can I get you any water? What do you need? A lot of that. To the point where Jeff and I are sitting in the waiting room ordering pizza for her kids because we realize she's still going to be in the hospital and we don't want her to have to worry about what her kids are going to do for dinner that night. So we're ordering pizza to her house. So, the only thing that I knew how to do was to take care of this 24-year-old and her two children, because I could Mm -hmm. do that.
0: So, not just a mom, you're also a grandma. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, is Jeff in the same mind frame?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely.
0: All right. How did things progress?
1: So, after the epidural and, you know, we progressed a couple of hours, you know, we're ordering pizza for the children and we're making sure that Louis got what he needs. We're still in the waiting room. We keep checking in with reception. Where are we with this room? You know, we need to have this room. So we get to a point where we're sitting there and we're told it could be close. We're talking like maybe within the next 45 minutes to an hour. At this point, the head nurse comes out and finds Jeff and I sitting in the waiting room. And she sits us down and said, I don't know what's going on. We don't have a room. And we said, what do you mean you don't have a room? This was arranged. She said, every single bed is taken by a patient. And what happened was, because we had a scheduled induction, we had the room reserved. Well, this was not planned. So we were told very quickly and and very kindly, this nurse was amazing and incredibly apologetic for the situation that we were in. That we had a couple of options at that point. The first option was, baby's born in labor and delivery, we bond with the baby in that room with the surrogate, surrogate goes to her room, baby goes to the nursery, we go to a hotel or the lobby. Wow. That was option one. Option two, when this has happened in the past, she has been able to offer up an unused labor and delivery room two intended parents to receive the baby bond with the baby and spend the night while they were too busy that was not available to us the third option
0: so that wasn't an option for you it wasn't an option that sounds like the option that you had planned for
1: the option we had planned for was our own room like recovery
0: uh, a postpartum room postpartum room oh okay but Yeah, yeah, yeah if they had a labor and delivery room oh it was the postpartum rooms that were full
1: Yes, the postpartum rooms were full. So they had nowhere to put us.
0: Got you. Okay. And that still wasn't available to you because everybody was in labor that day. Okay.
1: And again, I'm wearing a bracelet that doesn't have my name on it. So they're not giving me a room. I'm not a patient. So the baby had a spot in the nursery and the surrogate had a postpartum room. Mm -hmm. That was a guarantee from the hospital. Okay. Third option, you can buy the private room. It's available. So we, you know, went through the conversation with the nurse and said, okay, so our options are we bond in the room with our surrogate, put the baby in the nursery and we leave the hospital, or we can do our plan if we pay for it, which our plan was the original of baby born, baby comes to us, we go into our room. Okay. That's what we had to do. Jeff was so adamant that because of what happened with Louie in the delivery, and I'm so grateful for him in that moment to have that clarity, because of what happened with Louie of me being emergency C-section, hooked up to IVs, Louie rushed to the NICU. I never got that moment. And Jeff was adamant that I get that moment of getting into a hospital bed and getting this baby on my chest. So we just did it.
0: Wow. First of all, it's important to note, I don't know how many labor and delivery rooms they have there, but it's a lot. I would guess around 30.
1: They said it was really, really, really unusual.
0: That's a lot of babies all at the same time. And, you know, a piece of me is like, okay, but given the predicament, can't we just get that private room?
1: So conversation for another day and what we do about that. But it was a room at the hour I needed the room. So we took it. I mean, I'm grateful that we could have.
0: I don't know what you worked out, but are you able to say what the normal price tag is for a room, a private room?
1: Oh, I know what it is.
0: Okay, can you share with the group?
1: It's $5,000. That's what
0: I thought. Okay. All right, let's take a little break and find out how the rest of this birth story ends. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Lexi Berry and things as birth will be birth. She's proven over and over again that she is unpredictable. I'm talking about birth now and no matter how you do it, there's always some unknown that you need to surrender to. So in your case, plan was your surrogate would give birth. You would very quickly move the baby into your separate room. Yep. I mean, as if you had literally just given birth from that point, everything would be similar, Yep. but there is no room available except one option, the private room, (laughs) the $5,000 private room. In addition to privacy, there's more to it, right? It's really two rooms sort of.
1: Right. I mean, it's a regular hospital room with a little sitting side room to it, but they also give you a dedicated doula while you're in the room to help care for the newborn, which understandably that's kind of where a price tag might come from.
0: I mean, also I feel like that sitting room has the nicest TV in the whole hospital.
1: You know what about that sitting room? <laughs> yeah. Unlike the hospital bed, the sound comes out of the television, not yes. out of that little thing, the clicker, the remote. Yeah, it's
0: like being in a real like living room or whatever. Oh yeah. So there's that for you know for <laughs> it's what it's worth. Is it. worth. <laughs> Okay. So you have this talk, I mean, a very powerful decision based on your previous birth and moments lost, transitions, rough transition, and one of the most important transitions. So you guys decide we're going to bond with our baby. We're going to stay with our baby. We'll go for the extra room. But the fact that you're having this must mean that she's very close to delivering.
1: Yeah. So this happened very quickly at this point, by the time we signed the paperwork, ran to the car, got our luggage, put it in the room, and went back to labor and delivery. We were told Dr. Katz is here and we are going to all go in the room. It's going to happen soon. So exciting.
0: We, exciting moment.
1: Yeah. The adrenaline is going for sure. At this point, everybody knew us. We had two or three doctors, the head nurse. She's like, I don't want to miss this. So she joins us. We had found out a little bit before that the baby had pooped before she came out. So we had the Mercodium challenge. So we were told, don't worry, there are going to be NICU doctors here. We might have to do some extra suction to clear things out. So we were told in preparation, and again, the doctors and the nurses were phenomenal in what they could help us with. So this was in preparing me to know that the baby might be in the room, you know, for an extra five minutes to clear things before we can go to our private room. So I knew to expect that.
0: Okay. Is there a sense of what's going through your surrogate's mind at that point?
1: This surrogate, I got to tell you, she is joking with the doctor. She has not broken a sweat. She is lying in this hospital bed saying, Now I remember why I missed being pregnant and labor. She's like, I love doing this.
0: Oh, wow. Everybody's I, head exploded. I already broke a sweat just listening to the story. She so.
1: was, I'll tell you. So with the Marconium, You know, the doctor sort of takes a pause right before it's time, gives the announcement of the situation. And as he's telling the room, you know, he said, she pooped. Our surrogate raises her hand and said, excuse me, excuse me. It wasn't me. It was the baby. (laughs) He's joking in the middle of labor.
0: Wow. I mean, at the end of labor.
1: At the end of labor, to the point where she kept the room light. She truly kept the room light. Mm. It was incredibly emotional. Everybody was there. I mean, there must have been 12 people in that room.
0: Wow. I mean, keeping in mind that it's apparently the busiest labor and delivery day (laughs) for the hospital, like setting a record, they still found 12 people to come hang out with you.
1: Absolutely. So we got to the point where we had a little lull. So she pushed once and the doctor said, "Okay, we're not quite there yet. Take a break. We'll come back in 10 minutes. So we were all in the room, we had 10 minutes and we look at the clock and we're like, okay, it's 5.10, 5.15. And then somebody said, is the pizza there for the kids? Now we're saying, well, let's take that. So what's going to come first? The pizza <laughs> for the children or the baby? So we're tracking the delivery driver as we're counting her contraction timing.
0: You're tracking I mean, two deliveries. Two at deliveries.
1: Table. This is the mood of the room.
0: And if the baby doesn't come fast enough, you get a free baby. Exactly. (laughs) Is that how it works with the pizza? I don't remember.
1: I don't know, but it was a lighthearted, joyful, shockingly comfortable
0: room. That's really special. I mean, you could almost feel what the drama could have been um, in the air. sliceable like a frozen pie. Absolutely. And also, you know, Dr. Katz famously keeps things light anyway. So it sounds like a good chemistry.
1: Oh, the two of them, they were just jabbing for like 20 minutes.
0: Open mic night. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I don't know if this is TMI, but like, what is your vantage point?
1: So after we got our room, before we went into the Libra and delivery room, the support person came out and spoke to me and Jeff and said, the only thing Amelia has asked is that Jeff stay above her head until her legs are down. And she said, I can go anywhere I want. Okay. So I was kind of at her like four or five o'clock and Jeff was at her like one o'clock.
0: Okay. Seemingly the most comfortable arrangement for all.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there was no need for him to be anywhere else.
0: Did you have a discussion? Again, curious mind, but did you have a discussion early on about if there would be any pictures or things like that?
1: We didn't, but the support person... Truly during delivery, when the baby was like out, Mm -hmm. Jeff cut the umbilical cord and the support person like handed me her phone and she said, you have to take pictures of this. Oh, okay. So yes, we took pictures.
0: Okay, amazing. So... There's a little gap between where we just were and where we just got to. So what happens? (laughs) I'll fill you in. Yeah, fill us in.
1: (laughs) Okay. So when it was time for her to really push, I was still kind of off to the side a little bit. I didn't have a full view. I was kind of trying to stay off a little bit. So she was pushing and then there was another doctor with Dr. Katz who was kind of like front and center. And as they said, they were starting to see the head. He kept saying to me get in here, get in here. You have to see this, get in here. So I saw her being born from a vantage point that is almost unheard of for a mother.
0: Oh, true. I never thought about that. Like you could only see it with a mirror or something like that. Or if you're the world's best yogi.
1: Yeah. I mean, scared the hell out of me. I don't really need to do that again, but (laughs) it was really scary, but I watched her be born. Wow. I mean, there was a lot of hair and her skin was kind of purple, but,
0: you know. I, mean, I Are you talking about your baby now? The baby, yes. Okay. Sarah <laughs> still
1: smiling and laughing.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay. I mean, it, it sounds like smooth pushing.
1: Smooth pushing. She had no complications. I think she had maybe 20 minutes of pushing. I mean, it's her third baby and she's young and it was an uncomplicated pregnancy. So that's why you use a surrogate.
0: She makes a great surrogate, yeah. Totally. And then... Jeff cuts the cord.
1: Jeff cuts the cord. I get the picture. Mm. And then they immediately bring her over to get checked out. And this is when I walked away because they put the tubes down her throat to clean it out because of the merconium. Suction. The suction. And I couldn't watch that happening. That was too much for me. So once they were sort of done with that, it took a while. They kind of shake her to get rid of the purple, bring color into her body we finally got Jeff around. So there we are, we're with her. And for some reason, the room got really quiet. And aside from the fact that like half the room is crying and we had a couple of moments where it was the surrogate, the support person, me, Jeff, the baby and the pediatric nurse. And it was just silence. And I kept thinking, why haven't we left the room? Why are we still in here? But they still had to weigh her. They still had a few things to do before they could relinquish her from that one. You know, they had to put the stuff on the eyes. They had a few things to do. And we're sitting there. And the surrogate is sitting in her bed. And she's looking over at the baby. And she's like, oh, she's so beautiful. She's like, look at her long fingers. And I'm thinking, what must this be for her? You know, in that moment, because we're about to take this baby out of this room. And she's ours. Everybody knows that this is our baby, but she just delivered her. And it was a very, that was the strangest emotion that I couldn't really put my finger
0: on. Fear? Not fear. Like, I'd be afraid, are you bonding with our baby?
1: It wasn't that. I've been asked that question a lot over the last year. Am I worried that this surrogate is going to bond with my child? That... Knowing the surrogate never crossed my mind. That was never a concern of mine. It was almost a feeling of that I felt bad for her. But I know that this was the job.
0: And also, she didn't show really any signs of remorse on the job. Where, like, no, what did zero. I just do? It was sounds like the exact opposite. Like she the
1: exact be- opposite. So when the baby was cleared we put her in the clear bassinet to roll her into our room. We sort of said, okay, so we'll talk this afternoon. We'll see you in the morning, that kind of thing. And we kind of left. And to wrap up the surrogate piece of this, she texted me that night, how's the baby? How's everything? And, you know, I asked how she was. And we had been joking earlier in the day that all she wanted was this large special Starbucks drink that Jeff wrote down every ingredient of, and we knew we'd bring it to her in the morning. So we said, okay, we're going to bring you the Starbucks coffee in the morning and you'll meet the baby. So the next morning we get a text from the support person who said, the surrogate feels like she's gotten the closure that she needed in this process. And she doesn't feel like it's necessary to meet the baby today.
0: I, Don't even know what that means emotionally again, but I feel like since you graciously agreed to do the podcast, I now know personally a host of other people who are delivering with surrogates in the near future. So I would love to, and I know this is your mission, you know, learn as much as we can from your experience and your process. So I think it's important that we do a fourth segment if you have a little time. Sure to see if there's anything to process about what you just said and then also what happens next and reflections on the past so we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back for bonus segment number four Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Lexi Barry. Just had, in our story, a uh, baby with a surrogate, and the plan is to go bring a giant Starbucks drink, custom crafted, <laughs> and have the surrogate kind of meet the baby before your goodbyes. And then you got a call from the support person saying she has closure or already, doesn't need to meet the baby. Is that translate doesn't want to meet the baby? And less importantly. Is she going to get the Starbucks drink either way?
1: Exactly. Good question. So, of course, she's getting the Starbucks. There's no question about that. So, we have a friend, a family friend who used a surrogate a couple of years ago who walked me through the process leading up to this, making the decision to use one. And this person's story of delivery and being in the room and introducing the baby to the surrogate and showing me the photo. Of them with the surrogate and the baby is like their treasure of the journey. If you asked me a year ago, I was very disconnected from the idea of being in the room, being emotionally connected to the surrogate, having photos, any of that. That changed. And I said to Jeff that night, I want a photo tomorrow morning of me, the surrogate and the baby. So I had in my head that that's what was going to happen. When we got the call that she didn't want to meet the baby, I was mourning that photo for me and for the baby, but I understood where she was coming from. It was so mature of her because in her mind, and she kept saying this throughout the pregnancy, you know, I can't wait till this baby is in your arms. I can't wait till you have your baby home. I can't wait till Louis meets his baby sister. So I knew for her, there was no emotional attachment that why would she risk it by meeting the baby the next morning? And that was my takeaway. I don't know if that was her takeaway, but that's how I read that. Mm -hmm.
0: Did she know that you wanted that picture?
1: No, I would never have told her that because if we got in the room and she didn't want to do it, I wouldn't have done it. Sure. So. Once I found that out, I said, okay, well, I've got some time. The baby was with Jeff sleeping. And I said, I'm going to Starbucks. <laughs> so I went downstairs. I got the coffee, but I stopped myself. I said, if she doesn't want to meet the baby, I don't think I should see her. Mm-hmm. So I went to the nurse's station and talked about being socially awkward. I went up to the nurse and I said, hi, I have a baby. But I didn't deliver her and this name is not mine on my bracelet. (laughs) But our surrogate is down the hall and she's in this room and the nurse is looking at me like, can I help you? And I was like, (laughs) this is her coffee. I know she really wants it, but I don't want to disturb her by going. She's like, are you asking me to deliver a coffee to a patient? I said, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So she texted me. She said I had tears of joy when I saw it she left the hospital that afternoon. She got home to her boys. The next day she drove home and her kids started school the following Monday. She had her life.
0: She had a lot going on.
1: She had her life.
0: Hopefully there was at least some leftover pizza. Yeah. Right. She got home. Wow. That's incredible. First of all, your story sounds a little bit like our Shabbat story. Whenever we accidentally leave the lights on (laughs) in the bedroom or whatever, and you go out and you try to find somebody who's not Jewish to, to, to turn it on, but you can't say, could you turn off my light? Or so it like, Can you point? Yeah, I've once one time we moved into a new apartment complex. We we're very young and the light was on in our bedroom. And uh no. yeah, I went down and this random neighbor kind of walked by and I was like, Hi. Um, I sort of was hoping you can come up to my apartment because the lights on in the bedroom <laughs> and I prefer it. Dark, <laughs> and she's like, Oh my god, and she ran away. I'm like, Oh, baby, I went up to my wife. I'm like, I think you have to come with me,
1: <laughs> it can't be you,
0: <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of what it reminded me of. you just like, I have coffee, and there is somebody who would like coffee.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: how you is know, again, straight to uh, the end of humor, yes, how is that point forward experience, and also out of curiosity. How was it compared to how you had thought it might be?
1: So the first night was incredible. We had the surrogate do the first pump so we could get the colostrum. So the first feeding was the colostrum for the baby. So I did that. I was in a hospital bed in a gown holding her and it's what we hoped for. And Jeff got into the bed and held her and the three of us just laid together and we got that experience. And, you know, we kept her in our room most of the night and, you know, I think around two or three in the morning, we let her go to the nursery so we could get a couple of hours of sleep. And because nothing's in a straight line with us, the next morning, you know, back to the point of the benefits of the room, there was a doula who brought the baby back into our room from the nursery and she wouldn't stop coughing and she had trouble breathing. So, we let her go back to the nursery to get checked out. Our pediatrician came at that point and they believed that she had something called TTN, transient tachypnea of the newborn. So, transient meaning that it's temporary and it has to do with having extra fluid in the lungs Mm -hmm. So the idea is that when a baby's in the womb, their lungs are filled with fluid and sort of upon delivery, it expresses itself and your lungs get filled with air. Mm -hmm. Part of this was because of the marconium. Mm -hmm. So we were told it's not a problem. She might just need some additional oxygen, additional support, breathing support for a couple of days to assist with getting rid of all the fluid. So what does that mean? We're going back to the NICU. <laughs>
0: no. So, well, wow. okay. Going back to the NICU seems like it could bring stuff up from last time, but then also the word transient generally, you know, because it means this is just has to play out and it will go away. Seems yes. Like it, on the other hand, it could be relieving. I don't want to put emotions into your soul. What was it like?
1: My emotions were, so we walked up with her. You know, Jeff went up with Louie last time. This time I went up. I watched the intake. I answered the questions from the nurses. And both of us had so much comfort of her being in the care of the NICU. The, the head NICU doctor came over to me, very frankly said, She's good. This is precautionary. We're going to give her a little bit of oxygen. Think of this as high class babysitting. You'll have her home in two days. <laughs> That's what she said. And I said, Okay. So, you know, we immediately went downstairs and released the $5,000 a night room, said, we don't need it for the second night, get rid of it. And we put our bags on the car and went up to the NICU and spent the day there. But we went home that night. You know, there was no reason for us to sleep or stay at the hospital. So she was there for two days. She had the CPAP machine to help regulate her oxygen. It took two days Jeff was more upset about it than I was because he had this vision of us leaving together the way we didn't the first time and us being able to bring her home with us. That didn't really bother me that much. Mm -hmm. I was sort of okay. It was two days and it was something that was going to resolve itself immediately. Uh,
0: Just okay. Or is there like a little bit of a, this might help us transition. I'm not sure what I'm picking up from you.
1: Maybe, maybe that because all we knew was the NICU with Mm Louie and it allowed us to come home, get a night's sleep, see Louie, have breakfast with him. Mm -hmm. To me, there's something comforting knowing that my baby has been checked out by the doctors in the NICU. She had a chest x-ray. She was monitored for two days. Her oxygen levels are being taken care of. She's being fed perfectly. I'm one of those, like, I want the attention. I want the medical support. So I knew coming home that she was she was good she was ready to go so i was almost relieved
0: that's what it sounds like
1: to get that care
0: very understandable i love to fly in the airplane that has been recently serviced by exactly all the technicians you mentioned the surrogate pump some colostrum for you yep was there more to that plan no The plan was
1: always to have one pump in the hospital and then let her go back to her life. Louie was a formula baby because he couldn't digest it. I couldn't produce it. So we just didn't try for very long. Formula is great. Worked for us. I just didn't want to go down the road of freezing, shipping, unfreezing. It was a headache I didn't need.
0: Yeah. Was there ever talk about trying to stimulate you to produce milk?
1: In discussions, you mean it was brought up as something that people have done in the past and it's possible? Yes. Is it something I consider? Not a chance.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm just (laughs) All right. So in retrospect, on the entire process, looking back, if you could have done things differently or looking forward, if you were to do this again, would there be lessons learned and things you would want to change?
1: You're making me go really deep on this. So the baby's three weeks old today. The last couple of days, weeks, I have something like six new babies in my neighborhood. A lot of friends who have been pregnant and are postpartum right now. And I've had guilt of feeling like, you know, two days after she was born, I went on like an hour walk by myself because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to put myself. You know, I'm not in bed taking care of myself physically. I'm not producing milk. There was a little bit of guilt that I feel so physically fine right now. You know, Jeff's point of view of that is, well, look where you were the first time. There shouldn't be any guilt. This is the way it's supposed to be.
0: I'm not not even sure I fully understand guilt towards who, meaning guilt generally is the assumption that I should have done something that I didn't do or something like that towards the baby. Like you didn't do something for the baby that you could have done or towards the other women. Cause they're also new mommies and they have so much extra work to do or.
1: Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, I wanted to carry. I was told I shouldn't, mm-hmm. but I still have this guilt that I didn't and I feel fine. And, you know, people, we're out. Jeff and I went to dinner. Oh, we have a new baby. Oh, you look amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be prepared for that. You've got to be prepared for oh, you know, wow, like you had a baby 2 days ago. Like no, I didn't have a baby 2 days ago. And then it's the constant explanation. So there's a little bit of that feeling of that that I didn't earn this baby and this mat leave because that's where I am right now. But there's a little bit of like I didn't put in the hard work to be where I am. I think that's a better way of putting it. I feel like I didn't do the hard work, even though, yes, it was hard work in a different way, (laughs) but that's the emotion that I'm feeling. Hmm.
0: And over the three weeks, do you feel that emotion changing at all or stay the same, get a little better, get a little worse, shift? It sounds like on the border of guilt and sadness.
1: Yeah. I think it's still there. I think it's going to change over time, I hope. It's sadness and mourning for there are things I got with her and I'm in the hospital and things I'm going to have with her now because I didn't carry her and go through labor that I didn't have with Louie. I carried Louie, but then I couldn't enjoy him when he was born. This time around, I didn't carry her, but I'm fully able and capable and physically able to enjoy her right now and take care of her.
0: And on the flip side of that, he couldn't enjoy you. Right. Right away. And she can. I mean, all that goodness doesn't take away from the human nature of mourning the loss of an experience. Yeah. That you lost. And I think it's probably really important that you're in touch with that.
1: Yeah. I think I had it labeled it really until we started talking. But, you know, I've got friends who are breastfeeding right now. And I couldn't breastfeed with Louie, but at least I tried Mm -hmm. there was no trying here. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no like physical recovery of like, I did it. I earned this baby. Look what my body did like good, bad, or whatever. That's just where I'm at three weeks after the baby's born.
0: Yeah. It's fair. I think it's really important to process. It's a really different experience. I mean, I have no doubt that when you look in her eyes, you realize that you gave her life and you had to put an effort in other ways that nobody else does that other people generally don't.
1: Well, that part's really interesting because I recognized her face and her features and bonded with her so much faster than I did with Louie. And I knew that was going to happen for some reason. I don't know if it's because she's a girl I don't know if it's because I wasn't drugged up and cut open and I could see her and feel her or it's the second time around and I'm more confident and not scared or she's twice the size that he was. There's a lot of factors, but I feel much more bonded to her at three weeks than I did to Louis at three weeks.
0: I mean, it makes sense. The transition was quite different. Also, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I rarely ever, I think I can remember one time where someone said, you know, Dr. B, the second pregnancy is so much more comfortable than the first, or I have so much more energy than I did last time. Some of that is because you're older, but some of that is because you're chasing around a toddler and raising a toddler. And then some of that is because you're doing that pregnant and there's not really time for self-care. And there's, you know, your body's being strained in a lot of different ways. And when that baby comes, there's just a different level of exhaustion. And you might have been more mentally exhausted, but physically able. Present. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm present. present. A very, very, very interesting journey. You still didn't answer my question, though, if you had to do it again. <laughs> oh, great.
1: If I had to do it again, would I do it differently? Here's what's interesting. I admire the hell out of our surrogate for her being single and doing this for herself and for her children. Her support network was on shaky ground to begin with. And we ended up having to support her by providing people. And she also lived in an area that did not have specialists did not have a top-rated NICU. She was two hours from Fresno, which was the closest. And we did not do a site visit. It was COVID. We did not meet her in person. We met her over Zoom. The end of the day, I think that she was phenomenal because of who she was. But I would strongly recommend that people make sure that they understand what the support network looks like for a surrogate and make sure that it's Strong and consistent and stable, and that they've got access to healthcare where they live. I think that's critical. I also personally, I think I adjusted. Like I said, I wasn't going to be in the room for transfer than I was. I said I wasn't going to be in the delivery room than I was. I feel like those transitions I made on the fly, but I do think making sure that the surrogate has the stability of support is critical.
0: Makes sense. You've said that in order to qualify as a surrogate through an agency, at least you have to have kids of your own, at least one. And in this case, your surrogate had a couple of kids. So, you know, one wonders what do they think is going on where mommy is pregnant, goes through all the phases of growing, and then comes home without a baby?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, our surrogate has two young boys, I think three and a half and six. And when we met her for the transfer, I asked her that question. I said, what do your boys know about what you're doing? And she said the agency helped her explain to the children, I mean, mostly the six-year-old, that mommy's friend has a broken tummy, and mommy's going to help her to have a baby. So before she got pregnant, the children were told that mommy's going to be growing a baby, but it's not theirs. So I think it was a mature and smart way to approach it. I don't know how it played out with the three and a half year olds. Louie thinks babies come from the hospital.
0: Oh, so nothing changed.
1: So there's the flip side of it when we've got friends of the neighborhood who are pregnant and their toddlers are pointing to their bellies and saying, baby. And we say, Louie, where do babies come from? The hospital.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So for our family, it's a story that we'll tell down the road to the children. Mm -hmm. It was easy because he was little. He was little to explain, we get the room ready. A baby's going to come to live with us.
0: I mean, I was told stork, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I was dropped off by an alien with an egg or something when I was a kid.
0: That makes so much (laughs) sense. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Just a crazy journey with another human being. Are you and your surrogate, is there still any communication between you?
1: So we heard from her that she got back home and the drive was fine and everything was okay. She asked how the baby's doing and how Louie's adjusting. So, you know, I sent her a text back with a photo. So, you know, we told her we would give her a photo of the baby and Louie as well. And that's been it since then. I think that for Jeff and I, you know, Christmas gifts for her boys every year with a photo of the baby growing up. I think that's kind of where we're at. I think if she ever comes down to LA for any reason and she wants to grab lunch, that would be fine with me. I think time will tell with where she wants to be. There's not going to be a close relationship there's going to be a mutual respect and I want to see her do well in life. I want to see her boys do well in life. And that's kind of where we're at.
0: It sounds really mutual.
1: Yeah.
0: Lexi, you're right. It sounds like your surrogate is an amazing human. Yep. And it's also true that you're an amazing human to do everything that you've done. And then also kind of as a pioneer, one of the pioneers in this area. And then to also come share such personal Details and again, I know a hundred percent. There's one reason you're doing it, which is to help other people. Yes, and I'm grateful, and they're grateful, and um, we appreciate you.
1: I appreciate you. You've repaired my body after Louie, and continue to. So thank you for that, and for always being a support and a listener and an encourager. I know you see it all, and this is a little unique of a situation. So as you said. You know, part of my purpose in processing what I went through is getting it out of my heart, out of my head, so others can hear it and learn from it.
0: Thank you. I don't know. Maybe we'll also uh, follow up with a follow-up story. Where are they now? <laughs> uh, either in the podcast or in our blog. But for this moment, Mazeltov, congratulations.
1: Thank you.
0: And again, thanks for sharing your story. If you would like to connect with us, listeners at home, you can visit us on Instagram at Dr. Berlin, D O C T O R B E R L I N, or check out the new blog at informedpregnancy.com. Hey,